If you've got your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And how many know what happened on September 17th, which is today, in 1787? It's one of the most important days in America's history. And this is the problem. We're not taught this. It was the day our Constitution was signed. We, as a Christian, how many know my citizenship is first in heaven? But I'm also a citizen of the United States of America. And I had, we have been given a, a nation birthed in freedom. It is, we are the longest lasting constitutional republic in the history of the world. And sadly, before our eyes, we're watching our freedoms disappear. We're watching socialism and communism be espoused as better ways to go. And we remember this Constitution Day uh, after service. In, actually, I put, a, put a picture on the screen here. I want you to take a picture of this in your, with your phone right now. Um, we didn't have handouts because our copy machine broke. But there's a, web, there's a, there's a, 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 a link on there. It's 30 minutes long, but it is the best presentation that I have ever heard about America's government, our form of government, and our form of an economic system. I listened to it. It captured my heart. I believe everyone with children should have their children listen to it. I believe it should be listened to multiples of times because we are in a day where, where, where there are forces of darkness trying to take us not only away from God but away from the God-given freedoms that we have as Americans. Uh, if you would like a DVD, we have a DVD of this uh, in the lobby. You can pick it up with, with your Constitution. And uh, let me ask this question. How many are registered to vote? Let me, let, me, let me see your hands here. Well, pat yourself on the back there. I want to commend you. Those of you that are not, for whatever reason, let me encourage you to have a voice in our culture. It's super easy to register to vote. We've got both Arkansas and Texas signups in the lobby at that table. So you can go to that table right after service in just a moment of time. You can, you can have a say in this uh, nation, and hopefully we can get her headed in the right direction. They've also got a little QR code that you can take a picture in case you missed the, uh, the video. That's something I really want to encourage you to watch. So with that, everybody say, God bless America. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we started a new series last week, and it's called Your Best Life Now. Your Best Life Now, and it's basically found in following God's ways. Now, there's a little picture that we had to demonstrate this. Life always has two choices. God gave um, humanity in the Garden of Eden the choice that we could follow. God's way or Adam and Eve's way, they went Satan's way, and life messed up for us. But that premise was based on Psalm chapter 1. If you were here last week, you know there's a contrast between the godly, those that follow the Lord, and the end of their life. Not only blessings along this life, some hardship, but the grace of God and ultimately a real place called heaven. The world's way around the corner, we don't know what's there. It could be some, some very material blessings in this life. I mean, a lot of people that have nothing to do with God are materially blessed and wealthy. But yet, at the end of their life, they will have wasted their life if all they've done is pursued the things of this world. So that's kind of the basis of the series. Well, today we're going to continue it, and we're going to talk about living our best life by living each day with eternity in mind. I want you to say the word eternity. 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 Got a little picture for you here. And again, this is the choice that we have to make. We can live our lives for the eternal 
or we can live our lives for the temporary. Now, the temporary will explain with definitions, and it's not an either-or. It's not either I'm going to have a house and going to go duck hunting and have a garden, which is all temporary, uh, or I'm just going to, you know, pray all day. It's not that choice. It's how to integrate the two. It's how to bring our work life, our family life, our hobbies, you know, the things that we enjoy, all these, uh, these temporary things, but yet to keep an eternal focus on life. And that's what I want to do my best to teach you today. We're going to talk about four things. Number one, we're going to contrast the concept of temporary and eternal. Because in America, we're pretty much taught to live for the day. Secondly, we're going to see where people will spend eternity. Like it or not, there's only two places. Heaven or hell, yeah, we'll see it in the Bible. Uh, Three is a big one, distractions on the temporary path. That is one of the biggest things that you and I in a prosperous, materialistic world, time-consuming, need-to-work-more-hours world need uh, to deal with is how do we face distractions. And uh, number four, lastly, it's very practical about how you can find your best life on the path to eternity. I'm going to share with you four things that are just how you can integrate this into everyday life. So it's not the choice between good and bad, God and devil. It's the choice between the priority of my life is focused on eternal things, and I enjoy the temporary things, but I don't let them distract me from God. So with that, let's begin 2 Corinthians 4, contrasting the temporary and eternal. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing. He's talked about his suffering for being a Christian. He was persecuted by the Jews for his Christianity, but he wrote this. He said, our light and momentary. See, when I do this, it doesn't mean I'm trying to decide where to put the next piercing in my ear, okay? I'm scared of needles. Uh, I want you to say what's on the scripture, you know, what's on the screen. That way we can kind of interact better. So here we go again. Uh, Our light and moment. You You get a sticker at the end of class today. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us and eternal glory. So he's contrasting life on this earth as momentary with the eternal glory far outweighs them all. Now here's the big part of it to us. Verse 18, we fix our eyes. That is the priority of our life. Uh, uh, The thing that's most important to me, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So what's eternal as we look at the cross? The promise of Jesus, I've gone to prepare a place for you. The promise of Jesus, the creation of a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where all pain and suffering and death are gone, a real place called heaven. That's where the Christian focuses, but yet we live in the dirty now and now. Um, the things that we see each day, they appeal to us. Uh, mar- marketers uh, have learned how to get our attention and grab us in. Uh, well, let's talk about temporary first. Let's define it. Temporary, temporary simply are the things we do or obtain that won't last beyond this lifetime. The things we do or obtain that won't last beyond this lifetime. And most of what I do is temporary. Uh, I love to work in my yard. 
I've, I've still got flowers that are blooming. The hummingbirds are coming. Lynette and I like to sit in the chair, and uh, uh, she drinks her coffee, and I drink my tea because I'm a Christian. And <laughs> I'm just teasing. Coffee tastes bitter to me. But anyway, uh, I, we, I love my yard. I love working in my yard. I love the beauty of things that grow. Uh, I love to hunt ducks and turkeys. Uh, uh, my water heater went, uh, it went out, and, and now i got a little problem. i got to fix it, and i got an armadillo that's, 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 that's burrowed under my porch, and he's tearing up my flower beds. None of that stuff is bad. Every bit of it is temporary. And the challenge in life is how not to let that take the focus of my life and my hands be empty when it comes towards serving the Lord. Uh, the book of James says, James 4.14, what is your life? It's like the morning fog. And think if you get up early in the low spaces, there's just a little, little fog. He said, it's here a little while and then it's gone. As I think about my life yesterday, I was a boy playing ball in Mississippi. I had a football in the, in, the, in the fall. I had a baseball in the spring and summertime. I had a shotgun in my hand in the wintertime. I had a fishing pole in the summertime. Uh, uh, I, was, I was, you know, loving life, enjoying my life, working on a farm, uh, having a great life. And I blinked one day. And when I blinked, I was married and had three children. And then I blinked again. And all three of those children were grown up, married, and two of them have children. And now I, I blink when I look at the old grandfather in the mirror. And I don't like to think about this, but one day I'm going to blink, and I'm going to die. And the good part is I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus because Jesus said, those that believe in him, though we die, yet shall we live. But this is the way life is like. It's called, it's a vapor. It's, it's quick. Um, now, the definition of eternal, flip side, it lasts forever. It is without end. It is permanent. And this is what Jesus offers us. We've experienced life in what's known as time. Before time began, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, and time began. Prior to that, it was what's called eternity past. And time will go to the end of the book of Revelation, and then time will be no more, and eternity future will go on, and it is a permanent place, a permanent state of being that we will live forever and ever and ever. And if eternity lasts forever, I, I use this illustration, imagine all the beaches in the world and all the sandboxes in the world and if, if you could number those pieces of sand one piece of sand is like your time on earth and all the rest is like the first day of eternity it, it, it's, it's incomprehensible and any it, one with any level of intelligence if they considered the fact that it is possible that the Bible is true and that eternity is real. You see, we're taught today uh, by many that, that uh, uh, when you die, you just cease to exist. You become one with Mother Earth or whatever the case is. That is not biblical. You will live forever. 
Now, you didn't, ha- you, you didn't have an eternity past. You had a beginning at your birth, but even though your physical body dies, your spirit and soul will go on one day at the resurrection, be united to your body, and you'll end up in two re- one of two places, heaven or hell. Now, let's move on to this point and ask the question, where will I spend eternity? Now, you might have been asked a lot of questions today. You know, you might have been asked, what do you want in your coffee? And, you know, what time are we going to get up and where are we going to lunch? But that eclipses this question, where will I spend eternity? Let me tell you what the Bible says first about heaven. 492 times the word heaven is mentioned in the Bible, the ESV translation. But when the Bible speaks of heaven, you got to kind of pause and think because the Bible speaks of heaven in three different terms or places or concepts. The first one is the sky that we look at. When we talk about the heavens, uh, it's the sky. Now, you remember when Paul, literally Paul had an out-of-body experience and he said he was transported to the what? Third heaven. And that's where the presence of the Lord exists. Somehow God is omnipresent, but yet that is the dwelling place of God. That now is where angels have surrounded the throne of God. And the most likely explanation of the second heaven are all the universes that are beyond our universe and everything else in the expanse of creation. So when the Bible speaks, when we're talking about heaven today, we're talking about the third heaven, the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of believers who have followed Christ. Um, Let me read just a little bit of what it's like. Revelation 21. Now, this is after time has stopped. We're now entered into a timeless eternity. And John, the revelator, said, I heard a loud voice from the throne, and it was the throne of God. And listen to the most incredible thing. God's home is now among his people. In other words, the one that created the heavens and the universe, the majestic and awesome God, the one to whom right now angels are bowing, singing, worthy, 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 he's going to live with us. He's going to be with us. One day you'll see Jesus face to face for the first time. And my hope is when he looks at you, I hope he looks at you and smiles. I hope he says, Larry, for the first time, you get a big grin on your face and point your finger and say, most of it was because of my wife. And he says, I already know. But, 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 but this is going to happen to all of us one day. This idea of faith in Jesus Christ is not just some fanciful way to get us through troubles in life because we're not strong enough to bear the pressure. The Bible teaches this is real. He's, listen, verse 4, he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All this is gone forever. Right now, two families in our church are, are living this last part. Just a few days ago, Dorothy Ware, a 30-year church member, went to be with Jesus. But yet her family is grieving. A dear friend of mine, Steve Morse, he had brain cancer. Last year had surgery, but the cancer's come back, and now he's in hospice care, and his family is carrying the weight, and they're grieving. This is all a part of this earth. It's because of Adam and Eve's sin, but one day all this stuff is going to be, what can we say? I was going to say kick to hell, but I don't know if I should say that. It's going to be gone. It'll be over, and it'll be no more, Um, and, and this must be the goal of our best life. 
The goal of our best life must be to end up in a place called heaven and not only end up there, but be rewarded for what we did on earth. Listen to what Jesus said about rewards in heaven. Matthew 5, 11, the last of the Beatitudes, Jesus said this. Hang on, I moved my iPad. Uh, all the... Uh, Somebody tell the preacher to get it together. Matthew 5.11. People will say all kinds of evil things because you follow me. But when they do, you'll be blessed. Now, isn't that odd? You'll be blessed because you have a great reward awaiting you in heaven. Now, how many like to receive rewards? Wave your hand. The rest of you are just fibbing in church on Sunday morning. I figured out of the Saturday night crowd, but not you. I mean, let's say whatever, wherever you work, I don't care if you work in a school or a sales force or whatever, whatever you do for a living or you're playing your bridge club or whatever, what if somebody's giving away a, a, a seven-day Alaskan inter-channel cruise to the winner, whoever gets the most sales or whatever, gets the highest GPA in the class or whatever, and how many would like to be rewarded with a trip like that? Every one of us. Now, I, I can't tell you what kind of rewards will be in heaven. I can tell you we'll cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus because it's all about him. But there is a reward in heaven. Now, let's take just a minute and talk about hell. You don't hear about this very often unless it's a curse word or unless it's, you know, you just don't hear it much. But hell and judgment day, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is a real event. This is an event that you will be making an appearance. I will be there. George Washington will be there. Julius Caesar will be there. Uh, President Obama will be there. Everybody's going to be there. Notice what it says. And the strangest thing, I saw the dead, great and small, powerful and, 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 and unpowerful, or, or wealthy and not, great and small. What, what were these dead people doing? Standing before God's throne. Now, how in the world are you dead and standing before God's throne? I'll tell you, friend, your body died, but there's going to be a resurrection of both the just and unjust. Our body, our soul, our spirit will be reunited standing before God on judgment day. And all the books were open. The Bible teaches that God knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the thoughts that we think. He knows the things that we do. And somehow the God that created the heavens and the, and the world knows everything about us. And it's, it, this may be a metaphor. It's recorded in a book. But somehow God knows it, including, and oh, here's the good one, the book of life. And the book of life is where you want your name in big letters. <laughs> John Henry Miller III. That's the book where people who have believed in Jesus and followed him, their names are written in that book on their conversion. So that's the good thing. But notice the dead were judged according to what they had done. And that's the problem because what we've done, there is some level of sinfulness in our life. Sin separates us from God and unforgiven sin is why people are judged. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You say, I don't believe it. It's your choice. Jesus said the same thing. Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels and they'll weed out of his kingdom all who do evil. They will throw them into a 
a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what am I telling you? Hell is real. And it's not just the object of an old rock song, Highway to Hell. Come on now. You'd have to be on LSD or something to write a song like that and want to go there. It's mocked in our culture today, but hell is described as a place of outer darkness. You will not party with your friends. It, uh, it, the worst place imaginable. You say, how could a loving God do that? A loving God, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. It is the loving God that wants people to go to hell. Hell was designed, the Bible says, for the devil and his angels, but those that willfully reject Christ, those that say no to Jesus Christ, align themselves with this, with the, with, with this place. Why would anyone with any level of intelligence want to take any risk? that that might be true. Now, let's keep moving. And I want to, this I think you'll find uh, helpful. Think of that path called temporary. And it may not be bad, but it can tempt us and distract us from what's eternal. Let me talk, let me read a passage from Jesus about a very successful man and the wrong choice he made. Jesus said, beware and guard against every kind of greed. And greed, by definition, is an intense and selfish desire for wealth. So life is not measured by how much you own. The success of my life is not determined by how many garages I have for how many cars I have. It is not determined by the size of my house. It is not determined by the size of my, my, my IRA or my 403B plan or, or whatever the case is. Life is not... Pla- now listen, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. I mean, would like a, a, a real nice house to live in, nice car to drive. See, the rest of you lied again. <laughs> I'd much rather drive a nice car that works rather than one that, you know, you have to work on every other day. I mean, these are things in this life, but but... The temptation, how I many know we, greed was an intense desire for wealth? Well, our intense desire should be for Jesus. In the great commandment, what? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So somehow, instead of Jesus being the source of his intense desire and pleasing him, greed and materialism became his primary pursuit. And notice what he said, verse 17. Over 16, uh, he told that Jesus told a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Uh, put yourself in his shoes. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Now, what I want you to notice is he didn't take time to pray and say, thank you, Lord, for letting me be blessed. And now what do you want me to do with this? Well, how many know... God doesn't have to tell you when you have great abundance to help the poor. He, he could have fed the poor probably in his town for the better part of a year. He could have taken care of all the elderly. But greed, this temporary path, made him focus on himself. Now listen to all the personal pronouns. He said, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I will sit back and say to myself, you've stored, away, uh, you've stored enough away for many years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said, you fool, you will die this very night. And here's the profound question. Uh, uh, You will die this very night. Who will get everything you work for? Well, I can tell you that easily. The lawyer and the guy that marries that pretty little wife that he had. (laughs) But he's not going to get it. What's going to happen? It's over for him. He has wasted it because he didn't do anything with it on the eternal pathway. Now, again, success, pleasure, money, work, turkey and duck hunting, possessions are not bad. It just depends if they define our lives in the path that we follow. And this is a huge challenge because I know the vast majority of us are not greedy people, but we are overwhelmed people and distracted people by the world. The world, through marketing technology, offers us things that we did not even knew existed. I, 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 I love to hunt, and my shotgun needed a little work, so I sent it to the, uh, to the, uh, to the gunsmith. And uh, I was looking on their website, and they had this new, I forget it was called, it, but it was a super-duper-duper, extra-duper, super, turkey choke. Now, the choke is the thing you screw in the end of your gun, and it determines the pattern. So I asked him about it, and I was beginning to warm up for it. And then he also said, oh, we've got those in T1, T2, and T3, and they're only $130 a piece. So all of a sudden, he's staring me in the face with $500, and something inside says, I'd sure like to have that. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Nothing's wrong with that. But if all of our life, come on. You understand this? I don't care how much money you make and what you do. It is just out there after you to try to keep you focused on the temporary. And this is one of our greatest challenges that we face today. Um, uh, uh, Anyway, is, is distractions. So somehow in the blessings of the Lord, because you remember in this series, it's called Your Best Life Now. And part of your blessed life are are, are the enjoyment of of material things, of wealth. Doesn't the Bible say that God gives us the ability to obtain wealth? You know, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So there can be blessings of God, and God can use us in a great way with our blessings, or we can just focus on the temporary me and I, and that's the great challenge of life. Now let me close with what I think is the most practical part of this message How can you walk this eternal path? How can you still enjoy the blessings found on the temporary path, but yet keep your main focus on the eternal path? Well, the first one and most important one is this. We need to receive and follow Jesus Christ as our Savior. I mean, no, you cannot do enough good things to work your way into heaven. I don't care how much you give to the poor. I don't care how much you, how many wheelchair ramps you build or how many Bibles you give away or any of that stuff. You cannot do enough to go to heaven because our sin stands between us and God. And that's the problem. We inherited Adam and Eve's sin and we need forgiveness of sin. And the way that God forgives us is through the cross of Christ. What that cross represents in the most basic sense is a substitutionary death. In other words, Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and my mistakes. And if I would believe him and follow him, he would offer me the gift of eternal life. So there's nothing more important in the whole world 
than being certain of your eternal destiny. And at the end of the service, we'll give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ and follow him and, 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 and make today the turning point of your life. Well, that's the first part, but most of us are Christians today. Let's get to the, a very practical one. It is to use our time, our talent, and our resources to serve the Lord. If you, if you like tease, time, talent, and treasure. Because here's some facts. Every one of us have only 24 hours a day. That's it. Every person, 24 hours a day to do something with. It's our choice most of the time. And here's a really big one. God has given all of us gifts and abilities and talents and passions and desires to do something in the world in service of Christ. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit has given each one of us gifts but yet at the same time, we just have natural passions and natural desires and abilities that we've picked up that we can either put totally on the temporary path or we can put some of on the eternal path. And this is, this is the thing to do is we want to use some of what God has given to us to advance the kingdom of God. Listen, I, I want to use some of my money, some of my material possessions to advance the kingdom of God. And don't worry, there's no second offering at the end. But I'm just telling you, if you're not deliberate about investing some of your money, if you wait until after you pay your bills, you will never have anything to invest in the kingdom of God. And didn't Jesus say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? So if I'm supposed to love him with all my heart, how in the world can I separate my giving in, in terms of some of the practical things that, that, that God has given me? My, that's why the tithe is so important. It's the first that God has given me that I return to him. But if we're not deliberate to plan our time and use our gifts and invest some of our money in the Great Commission, the temporary will consume it all. You have to kind of step back from life just a second and say, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to, I don't know what, um, uh, uh, some things we have to plan. For example, um, Linnell's leading a missions trip to Mexico in March. I think 18 people are going. They're saving, huh? What did I say? Okay, well, March and October then. Yeah. She, she's going somewhere in March, but in October, she, <laughs> she, she's... She <sighs> I'm thrilled she goes. I tell her the dog and both cats sleep on her side of the bed when she's gone, and that has not deterred her in the least. No, I'm just teased, and I'm thrilled that she's able to use, use her gift. I, I married a missionary, and I honor her for her passion for the world. I honor her for, her, for, for helping our church be focused because must, much or most of what we do in missions is because of a vision that you have helped instill in all of us. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, if we're not deliberate, if you're going on a mission trip or leading a life group, now, how many know that takes energy? <laughs> if, you, if it's in your home, you're getting your home ready and committing to it for 11 or 12 weeks, that takes energy. But guess what? It has value in the kingdom. So some things have got to be planned. You know, uh, it, 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 they just, they've got to be planned in advance. But other things are spontaneous. And I want you to think about this just a moment. There will be spontaneous activity or times for you to go down the eternal path if you take it at the moment. 
You remember the uh, story of the Good Samaritan? What, 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 remember the story? He's going from what? Jerusalem to, where did he go? Jericho? You're a Bible scholar, Cole. Come on, help me. Okay, I think I'm right. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he just came upon a man who'd been beaten near half to death. And he, could, he was going somewhere, so he could have just, you know, hit his donkey and said, go faster. He gets off his horse, he bandages wounds, he takes him to the inn, and he pays money for this man. It was a spontaneous thing, but it was an act on the eternal path. It just came before him, and then that opportunity was over. Let me brag on somebody. Pastor Mike mentioned this earlier today, but uh, there's a ministry in our church. This is already in Karen Rayfield. Uh, Karen, uh, when she was 19... Uh, was a single mom living on the streets. And somebody helped her get a job, get a place to live, and have a life. And she did that. But now she's taken... How many know God can take what Satan intends for evil and turn it into good? She's developed a ministry called Project Hope. And she makes her poor 70-year-old husband at work, work all the time. <laughs> but... <laughs> How many kids do they have in their house? They have seven kids in their house. Now listen now. Judges call them. Police departments call them and said, we have to get these kids out of the crack house. Can you help us for a few days? Do you know somebody? Can you help us place these kids? They know where all the, the stuff is happening. You have no clue when you ride by some of these old hotels. Come on now. The pimps and drug dealers and, and, and kids out of foster care that have no place to go live and are forced into prostitution. Well, she knows where those people are. It comes out in our newspaper, uh, 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 residents ordered to vote, vacate the boutique hotel. Well, here's the deal. They pay by the week or they pay by the month because that's most of the money they have. And, and the fire marshal had come X number of times and said, you get it fixed here or we're going to close it down. So he shows up and all those people now are sitting on the grass in front of the hotel with nowhere to go. Well, that, that's her bread and butter. And she shows up, calls the church, asks, can you get us some water? We get water. We open up our benevolence fund. We talk to somebody who's got a restaurant, offer to, offer to you know, if they would do it for cost. They said, no, we'll just do it. We'll give it to them. And then she find, most of the people gets placed. And there were three adult siblings that had just mental struggles. And they didn't have anywhere or anybody to take care of them. So we got them a place to live for a month. So... So what is this? This is the spontaneous eternal path. And see, it's not just Karen. She's got people. She's helping feed people all the time. Lots of people are involved in their ministry. They just get on the phone and say, let's organize and go help in this spontaneous moment. And then as a church family, we work together to help them. So this is something that we can do using our, not only our time, talent, and resources, but our past experiences in life. Now let me give you two more quickly. The third one is this. We can reach and disciple as many people for Christ as possible. Now, we've all heard of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples or followers of Christ of all nations. Now, that's just not just the, the, the Soviet premier and the ambassador of whatever, Japan. That's every person on the planet. Go and make followers of me. Baptize them, number one. That's why water baptism is so important. And number two, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. 
That is the great commission. That is the great responsibility. It is the job of every believer to do everything they can to win as many as they can before it's eternally too late. Paul made it so clear in Romans 10. Now, this is the most personalized scripture of the day, I think. He says, first, great news, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who looks to Jesus, I don't care how bad you've been, will go to heaven. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And you know who that someone is? Come on, punch yourself right here. It's me. It's you. It's us. Because we could be the person that's standing between them and eternity. My goal in life, my number one goal is to tell as many people as, as, as I can about Jesus in every way I, as I can. Whether it's behind this pulpit, whether it's on the radio, whether it's when I go uh, 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 into a restaurant, whether I do social media. And I'm going to tell you two things that I do that every one of us in this room should do. These little invitation cards are not just to invite people to church. They're to invite people for, to Jesus. Last night, we had about seven or eight people come to Christ for the first time. This, the first morning service, we had about six, I think, that made a step to Christ. Last Saturday night, not this one, but last one, I went to um, uh, Chick-fil-A and got my salad after church and go home and eat it. And there was a little girl that brought my food out to my car. And Linnell was in Mexico. And I said, or in, 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 at a pastor's conference, and I said, hey, I want to give you an invitation to my church uh, we meet tomorrow morning. I think you'd really like it. And that's all I said. Well, guess what? She showed up the next morning, answered the altar call, and gave her life to Christ. This works. And I'm going to tell you something else that, that I do that I have a great conviction about is I want to start giving something every week to the Bibles for Missions. Because one of the most powerful things that you can do is put a Bible in the hand of a person that's never heard about God or Christ before. And we have connections with missions groups around the world. I, I, I was given once a month. It doesn't matter what I was given. But I'm going to start giving something every week to Bibles for Missions. Linnell and I is a part of our giving. We're going to give some every week. And I want to ask you to join me. 100% of it goes, when, when we'll get two, three, four, five thousand dollars 5000 I'll get on the phone with missionaries and start calling who needs Bibles. But whether you give a dollar or five dollars or whatever, give something to Bibles if you want to reach people around the world. It is one of the most effective things I know that you can do with just a little amount of money, and a lot of us can put a lot of Bibles around the world. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me wrap up with this one. Again, now the practical things we can do. We can receive Christ as Savior. We can use our time, talent, and resources to serve the Lord. We can reach and disciple as many people as we can. And here's the last one. And everyone in this room can do this. It is to show the love of Christ to people in need. Let me tell you what Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 25 is talking about heaven and eternity. And here he again talks about judgment day. But this time it's very different than the book of Revelation. When the Son of Man, this is Jesus, comes, and this is the second coming, this is not the rapture, he's going to sit upon his throne, 
and all nations will be gathered in his presence. That is, every person that's ever lived in the history of time will be there. And notice what he's going to do. He's going to separate the people into two groups. And the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, these are going to heaven, come you who are blessed, our blessed life, our best life, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he says the strangest thing. I was hungry and you fed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now, this is not just humanitarian care. I believe in humanitarian care, but everything our church tries to do in a humanitarian way, we attach the gospel to it. It may be a gospel track, a gospel booklet, or a testimony, but, but, but I can help your body, but I want to help your body and your soul. Anyway, the righteous people, the ones going to heaven, kind of looked at each other and said, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? And Jesus said, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So you fill in the blank. When you did it to the people at that hotel, you did it to me. See, and this is a part of our world everywhere. Our church, we have a benevolence fund where we help people, uh, missionaries all over the world. I talked to a missionary in Turkey and in and, 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 and one of their cities, they had a horrible earthquake. Only 5 to 10% of the rubble has been cleared. And they still don't know where thousands of people are. There are people all over the world where there's connections. This is what church needs to be about. Not just helping me have a better life so I can have more joy on the road to temporary. Don't get me wrong now. Temporary is not bad in no way. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 that the things God gives us, he gives us to enjoy. So don't ever feel guilty when God gives you things to enjoy, but just don't live on the path of temporary. Make sure you're deliberate on the path that's called eternal. And if you do that, my friend, one day Jesus Christ will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Now I want you to bow your head just a minute and let's have a, a word of prayer. And if you're watching online, bow your head too. And the reason I ask you to do that is to shut the distractions out so you can just have a private moment with God. And ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? What in this message struck a chord in my heart? And I'd like to have a prayer of kind of commitment, but I want to ask this question. How many are here are convicted that my life has lived probably too much on the road called temporary? And not enough on the road called eternal. And I want to ask the Lord two things. Number one, to forgive me. But two, to help me realign my life. So that I'm able to live with the balance of enjoying the good things that this life offers. But living for eternity. 
I don't care if you work 60 hours a week. If you're a salesman and you're on the road providing for your family, when you leave that sales call, you can say, let me put the, the manual aside just a second and ask your friend, is there anything going on in your life that I can pray with you about? And if the opportunity presents itself, maybe you're a doctor or a nurse and you and the patient are just sitting there Ask them, are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? You see, this is not an either or. It's a both and. It's simply eternal is first. And if you want to ask the Lord to help you be less temporary focused and more eternal focused, would you just lift your hand right now? Nobody's business, nobody looking around. It's just us being honest with God. You see, you need to tell the Lord. Now, let's all pray together. Say, Father, help us or help me. Don't want you just say that. Say, Lord, help me. Help me not be distracted by the temporary. Lord, help me to be able to balance my life, but help me live every day with eternity in mind. My life on earth is like a puff of smoke. And unlike that man who had all the crops and all the money, when you bless me, let me pause and say, okay, Lord, what should I do now? Let me not just ask for myself, but for the people that Christ died for. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to have one more prayer. And, and, and I'm going to ask you for just a minute, don't think about lunch for just a minute. Don't think about fishing or whatever you're going to do. I want to ask you probably the most important question of the whole day. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? You remember when we talked about the practical things of what we would do? Well, you can't work your way into heaven. There's not enough good things you could do. But you and I all have a problem, and it's called sin. That cross representing Christ, here I am way over here as a human being, because Adam's sin came in my life, and all of us are guilty of sin. And the problem is, if you can ima imagine a wall there, I can't get over it, I can't get around it, I can't get under it, and I can't get through it. There's only one thing that can help me deal with my sin, and that is, if if my sins are forgiven and the wall is knocked down or, or maybe this is a better illustration there's a door and it doesn't have a handle on my side doesn't have a key and it's just this wall that separates me from God well the one who has the key to unlock the door is Jesus but I have to believe in him and walk through that door now let me tell you what believing in Jesus means believing in Jesus means that Jesus Christ the Son of God lived a perfect life with for one purpose, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He was a substitute, so he took the judgment so I wouldn't have to on judgment day. Jesus died, he was buried in the ground, and on the third day he rose from the dead, and, and he rose from the dead. Later he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and one day he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what you believe. But belief is not passive. Belief is active. 
There are other phrases that are used in the Bible. Repent and turn to God. Even if the door is unlocked, you have to go through it. And to go to the cross means I go away from my old life. I go away from my sinful life. I even go away from myself being on the throne of my heart. And I turn to follow Jesus Christ. I ask for his forgiveness and I commit to follow him. That, my friend, is the first step of becoming a Christian and on the road to eternal life. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to, we would like to pray for you right now for you to make this decision. For some of you, it'll be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. For others, you've walked with God, but you just got away from it. And you want to recommit your life to Christ. And I'm going to do this in a very bold way. If you want to commit your life to Christ today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And here's what's going to happen. You'll feel better. People will clap because you've begun to make your first step to Christ. And then we'll ask you later to come to the cross. And there's a symbolism of walking away from your old life. You say, well, why, 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 why so public? Why should I raise my hand? Because the Christian life is not lived in private. If you cannot, if you cannot say, I love Jesus and I believe in him in a room where people will clap their hands, you will never do it out in the world. But if you have the guts to start the Christian life today, my friends, you're on the path for a better tomorrow. I'm going to go section by section and start with this far section. Anyone over here that will say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God today. I believe in Jesus, and I want to step and I stand for him today. Would you raise your hand? Give her a big hand over here. God bless you, dear. Give her a big hand. Somebody else? Yep. Somebody. I, I see my usher. Yes, sir. I see your, I see your yellow shirt. Give him a big hand. Anybody else in this section, say, pray for me. I want to receive Christ. Anybody here, say, pray for me. Give her a big hand today. God bless you, dear. God bless you. That takes courage. Anybody else, say, pray for me. Pray for me. How about here? Say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ. I'm ready for a new life, a new life. Anybody here, say, pray for me. I see one in the back there, one right there. Give them a big hand. God bless you. I see, I think, two or three hands right there. Give this young man a big hand. You're never too young to make a step for Christ. Anybody here, say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. Pray for me. I need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. How about here? Say, all the way in the back, two hands. Give them a big hand. God bless you. Anybody else, say, pray for me. I want to get right with God. Let's stand to our feet right now. And I'm going to ask all of you that raised your hand, make the step to the cross right now. Meet with one of our pastors and let us pray for you. Come on, give them one more big hand. All you that raised your hand, come on up to the cross right now. And even if you didn't raise your hand, but you need to be up here, come on up here right now. People are coming, making their way to Christ. Others are coming today. Others, listen, again, we don't want anything from you. Give that lady a big hand as she comes right now. We don't want anything from you. We're here to just point you to Jesus. You can bring your spouse. You can bring your friend that's with you today. And we'll pray right over here. I want to ask, too, if several Christians would just come and stand behind them, just kind of as a friend to be there with them. If you'll just kind of slip up, Christians, come and help me here. But, uh, hey, today was a great day, wasn't it? Super glad you came. We're going to close with a final song. But uh, our prayer team is going to be here. If you want prayer for anything, they'd be here for you. Don't forget to stop at that Constitution table. And uh, don't forget, tonight at 6 o'clock, those young children are going to be demoing their album. I love you, and thanks for coming. Let's sing this last one together.